Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the show today are my two stupendously live co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. Thank you all for joining us for our live show in March, episode 41. If you ever want to reach out to us, you can do so by finding us on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Join us on the BGG Guild number 2077. Check us out on YouTube, as you may be doing right now, or find us on places like Twitter and Instagram. Today's show, number 41, as we said, we've got a good lineup. We are going to do a filler feature, including two games, Panda Head, a trick-taking game, and Hocus, a poker-style poker game. And then we're going to do some Three Up, Three Down, an awesome segment where we talk about what is up in our gaming lives and what is down in our gaming lives. But before we get into any of that, we are going to do a little bit about what we've been playing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Tiff a pass on going first this time, because I know she's nervous. So, Dan, what have you been playing? Um, not too much lately. I've had a chance to play some, some smaller games. But I did get to play one big game uh, recently. I uh, got in a game of Sid Meier's Civilization, the board game. So this is the board game version of the famous uh, video game series. And this was a four-player game. I was the Spanish, which was kind of cool. And, well, for those who don't know, this is a 4X game, so I won't get into too much, but there's a tech tree, there's a board, you explore it, and you fight each other. So that's the game. Um, So I was the Spanish. I started on this little peninsula, like in the bottom left corner, surrounded by water and not too many resources, but... I had this really cool power that when I explored tiles, I got to like build buildings that I couldn't already build, which was neat. And yeah, so uh, I actually won, which was really cool because I wasn't expecting to. I went with the economic victory. Um, we played this game with the fame and fortune, I think is the expansion, the second expansion, which in my opinion, it makes the economic victory a lot more viable. And I think we saw that because two of us were actually going for the economic victory, which is gather 15 coins in your in your empire. And I won with 15, but the guy that was the turn in front of me got to 14 on the same turn I got to 15. So two people, like, you know, relatively competitive in the one strategy. Um, for those, again, who don't know, in Civilization there's... There's four, four win conditions, three win conditions. So you could do an outright military where you defeat another person's capital. You could do a culture victory, whereas there's this culture track where you go all the way up the culture track, which is, for me, it seems really daunting to get that. But, you know, I guess if you're focusing on it and comboing correctly, you could do that. Um, and then the economic victory. I think those are the only three, but I may be mistaken. Those are the only three I knew about to go for. So if there was a fourth one... Uh, I did not go that path at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was good. It took that's a long game. So this is like one that is going to take up your entire night more than likely. Uh, this one ran us again. This had two two new players, so it ran us. Uh, I want to say upwards of six hours to play. Um, with a break, um, but it was good. So, like I said, a full four-player game, new players. And once you got into the flow of it, it's pretty cool. But my one gripe with Civilization, and, and for the record, I like Civilization better than Clash of Cultures. I know those are two like the two big kind of Civ-building um, 4X games that people kind of often debate. But for me, like the Civ, the Civ game is bogged down by the tech tree. While it's way more advanced and interesting than the Clash of Cultures one, in my opinion, it's just stacks of cards, and you're constantly looking through these stacks of cards, trying to look for the technology you want. 
and then you forget which technology you were going to build by the time it's time to build it. What I really loved about Clash of Cultures um, is the tech board that you have where you're just putting the cubes in your tech tree and you can kind of see how your, your civilization is lined up and where you can go and what you could do next. And it's, it's a lot more visually appealing to me than the Civ game. While I think Civ is the better game, because I don't really care for Clash of Cultures, it's a bit too random and annoying at times. I find Civ, the tech tree really, is one thing that really just bogs the game down in my opinion. But overall, I love I love the game. Um, I was happy to get it in. This is one I probably won't get in for another six months to a year, if at all. But uh, I was happy to play it, and I was happy to win it. So, Ghost, Viva La Spain! <laughs> Do you, when you pick your um, people, we I've only played Civ once and I can't remember it was so long ago, do you get assigned a starting territory? Were you forced to start on a peninsula? I was. So each each starting civilization has a starting tile. And then when you flip that tile, you can start anywhere on that tile. Okay. FFG, the, the publisher, recommends a starting space for every civilization tile. But you can do it as you see fit. The reason I started on a peninsula, I think, was because my starting tech was navigation. So I could move over that water. That's what but I was it, wondering. It really restricted me in terms of starting resources, though. So I had to get out, get my scouts onto different tiles so that I could set up that second city relatively quickly and get some additional resources. Yeah. And civilization really, I mean, it, the base game really favors the military, right? I just remember it being, maybe that's because we were playing with SME, but I remember it focusing heavily on the combat. Yeah, I can't, to be honest, I can't remember just base game Civ now because the expansions I think are, in my opinion, they're must-have at this yeah. point. The third expansion, I haven't played with, well, at least the second expansion. I haven't played with the, the first expansion. I haven't played with the second expansion, which actually changes the military and how it's actually played because one thing I really like about Civ is the actual military battles because they're uh, they're more strategic and it's not just dice rolling. You're actually playing cards to different fronts and confronting the enemy head-on or not so much. You could just kind of play like the sly strength in numbers kind of game. But yeah. uh, it's much better, in my opinion, than a, those random dice rolling games. So Cool. Yeah, I like clashing cultures, but or clash of cultures, I should say. But I do agree that, I mean, I think that that game is primarily a tech tree kind of game. Like, it doesn't have that super robust com combat. It's got some of this, like, civilization building because they really like to highlight the expansion of your towns and things like that. But there's all those random events. I remember you, uh, us yeah. running into problems with that. But I, I like that tech tree, like you said, better than Civ, which is surprising because Civ is based off a video game. I mean, do you think that I, they would have... I like the tech tree. I like the tech tree layout better. I'll clarify that. I think the layout is better. The actual tech tree, the substance of the tech tree is much more robust in Civ, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't played the Clash of Cultures expansion to see what that does, but my biggest problem with Clash of Cultures was the the way you scored like points towards victory was through drawing those kind of objective cards. And yeah. a lot of times those objective cards had nothing to do with kind of the setup of your civilization. And so you were stuck with this hand of useless objective cards unless you completely 180'd, you know, halfway through the game, which is not viable most of the time. So I, I just like Civ because it's a little more to the point. You know what you're going for. You know how you can get there. Everything is available to you. It's just a matter of getting there. Yeah. Um, whereas Clash of Cultures, it was, oh, I drew two objective cards. Ah, I can only complete one, so I'm only going to get one point this round, or whatever it was. Um, 
And that, that really irritates me about that game. Yeah. Well, hey, Tiff, when you were on your uh, Civ game spree before you <laughs> switched over to Wild West, was Civilization on the on the docket? No, I, my thing with Civilization games is I'm always looking for a Civilization game that doesn't take six hours, so that naturally eliminates this one from the running. So all the ones yeah. that I was looking at are like trying to compact that Civ feel into something more like two hours. So yeah. not interested ever in a six-hour game of anything, no matter what, even if it's Wild West. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, one of the games that I've gotten to play and Dan got to play as well was Mule. So speaking of economic games, this is a pure economic game based off, I don't know, when, what system was this video game on, Dan? What's that? Mule? Mule was like old school PC, like okay. before you were born PC. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so this is a game about, it's basically a production game buying and selling, market manipulation kind of stuff, where you have a player board full of these land plots. They're going to be drafting land plots. You can set what they produce. They produce by seeding them with workers, and workers in this game are robotic mules. It's like this weird 80s sci-fi kitschy thing. Um, so there's these robotic mules, and you have to power them, and when you power them, they produce you different kinds of goods. And then, basically, most money wins at the end of the game, so you're trying to buy and sell strategically these different goods. I like this game from an economic standpoint. I think that the market manipulation and things like that are fun. We ran into some big problems with these random event cards. At the end of every round, you draw a card, you draw a good event and a bad event. The good event helps either the third or fourth place person, whoever's behind, and the bad event hurts the first or second place person. And then there's this third event where it dictates the it dictates the value of this precious gem resource, the purple resource, Christite, and then it also has some kind of random event on top of it. So you got three events that are potentially happening, and the random event for the purple cards is upwards of like steal all of your resources or like the market burns down and the market loses all of its resources. So we found that while the economic portion of the game, you know, that, that buying and selling is really great and it's got some nice player interaction where you can buy and sell off of other people and we finally figured out like predictability in the market and then these cards totally ruined it. And I like they just, it was too much of a wrench. I, I, I'm okay with some randomness, but in this game where... Like, I've, I've stockpiled and invested in Christite all game, and now all of a sudden the pirates come and steal all of it, including this turn's production? Like, I don't, I don't know, it's crazy. So, and I know Dan probably feels the same way about those cards. Yeah, those cards suck. <laughs> like, it, like, things that suck a lot. Like, that's what those cards are. Um, yeah, the, the game itself, as you mentioned, the economic portion of the game is, is really clever and a lot of fun to kind of math about, you know, and all that good stuff. The, the theme is quirky, and I like it. Um, I never played the game when I was, you know, younger when it was first out, but I did play the. There's an online uh, simulator of the game that you can go and play, and I've played that. And the game is the thing with the randomness in the game, uh, the board game, is very true to the randomness that comes about in the video game. So I understand why they did it, um, but it is frustrating beyond belief. There are, as Matt said, in our first game we played, Matt and I were going heavy into this one resource called Christite. This is the purple discs. And there was this card called the Pirates Invade, and it flipped out, and it stole all of our Christite that Matt and I had been holding to sell, you know, you know, like a proper investor at a higher rate than we bought it and or mined it at. And that card literally took 
all of our Christite. And we calculated at the end of the game, Matt and I got trounced in that game, obviously. Yeah. That event, just that one event card caused, it was, in my instance, and I think it was somewhat similar in Matt's instance, it was an 80-point swing in a game that was scored 200 to, like, 160 to, like, 120 to, like, 100. It was an 80-point swing, and that, for me, is just too much. That's ridiculous. The other thing about that game that I don't like, but you can play without it, which is good, is at the end of each turn, there's this uh, deck of cards called the Good Luck and Bad Luck cards, and you basically draw one, whoever's in first draws a good luck card, and then they read it, and it usually has something like gain X money for something, and they can give that to anyone at the table. Um, now, you're supposed to, in, in you know, quote, in theory, give it to the last place player because they're the least harmful to you at that point, but you could give it to the second place or third place if you cut a deal for some if reason. If you're Ben. Yeah, if, if you want to break the game. And then the person in last place draws this bad luck card, and this bad luck card is lose money for something or something. And in theory, again, this guy's supposed to give it to the first place player. But there's all of this kind of, like, I don't know, it was just so frustrating when that, because that was at one point the second play we had, that the guy who was in last place was only last place by one dollar. One dollar. And this isn't a game where our final scores were in the three to four hundred dollars. He was in last place by one dollar. And this good luck card gave him, I think he netted when he got, when he converted the resources and the money he got, he netted like sixty dollars off of just being handed yeah. this card. Yeah. It's ridiculous. These, oh, these cards drove me nuts. But again, very true to the theme, very true to the original kind of video game. But, um, that's not necessarily a good thing. It's no, like, it's not, but it's it's got some really redeeming factors. And yeah. there are uh, another interesting thing. There's about, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say this, there's about 20 variants in the back yeah. of the book. Part of me is like, hey guys, maybe you should have tested these more and put the best <laughs> ones in the game. <laughs> and the other part of me is like, I understand they've kind of given you the, the ability to customize the game. So it's like I'm, I'm torn on that either way, but there are variants that eliminate those random card draws and things like that, which I think is how we are going to play from now on because the second game we were like, eh, we'll try it, see if it hurts us again. And we got a better, like Matt said, we got a better grasp of the game overall. But those cards, man, they just boned us beyond belief. I don't understand if that's like a balancing mechanism, like it's supposed to to be. be. Why not just make it give the good luck card to the person in last class mandate that? It puts too much faith in the players. I mean, you can't trust our group to do the right thing. Uh, so with the first game we played, like Dan said, like Ben would draw the good luck card and be like, all right, second player, you can have it. I'm like, but he's already ahead of everything. And then we'd give the bad luck card to just whoever. Smee's like, screw you, Matt, because we butt heads in every game. Um, and then the second game we played where it was that deterministic whoever is in this place gets this card. And I think the third game, if we play it a third time, we're just going to get rid of the cards altogether. I just, I, I don't think they're worthwhile enough just to be true to the video game. Right. I think that's the thing, right? Like, you don't have the nostalgia for the video game, so yeah. you don't really want that randomness. And this is based on a game from the 80s, and game design has changed so much since then. Like, imagine a hardcore exploration game called Oregon Trail, where at the end of every turn, you (laughs) flip a card, and you might just die. Right. Dysentery. (laughs) Like, the games have gone... (laughs) 
<laughs> games have gone so much, especially like heavier games, towards luckless that it's probably a shock to have that much randomness. I don't mind an event deck in games. What? If I like, I kind of I don't mind that as much. I don't want it if it doesn't have to be in there, but I don't mind an event deck. Those second cards where it's like hand this to the last player. Those are what really frustrated me. Yeah. Um, I think if Matt and I had looked through the cards and you know seen that pirate card and knowing that could come up, because you don't know what's going to come up. There's like 30 cards, and you only pick six of them. So there's a good chance you might not get that pirate card. But we didn't look through the cards before we played. Yeah. So I understand you know, if we were kind of mitigating our thought process against that card being in the deck, maybe. But even so, it was such a huge swing that I would have never wanted to see it come up regardless. Yeah, but it's it sounds like we can push it if we want to a more like luckless economic game. It might be a lot drier, but yes. I think, I don't know, it's just, I don't we know. Suck the soul out of it. Yeah, and they, well, they allow us to with their 30 variants. So. Yes, it'll become so good then. We'll try soul-sucking variant number seven. Yes. <laughs> We shall mine resources with our horses. <laughs> All right, so Tiff, mm-hmm. not playing many uh, games in in real life, right? No. <laughs> I, you know, if if anyone's been listening for the show for a while, you know that when I start to have com- concerts, um, I just stop playing games because it's just like a lot of after school commitment to get that done. And this month, concerts and parent teacher conferences happen at the same time. So, and some open houses for incoming sixth graders and lots of school stuff. So I have had to cancel any kind of game nights that have been happening. And on Monday, when I normally have my board game club, I had to drive my dad uh, somewhere because he's partially blind and I'm a good daughter. So I gave up games for all the right reasons for the kids and my blind dad. But I've been playing. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at that. No, it's fine. I laugh the at the kids it. and my blind dad. I love them both. So uh, when's yeah. your uh, lifetime movie come out? <laughs> oh yeah, it's a real struggle. I've had to give up all these board games for yeah. a week or two. <laughs> Orchestra teacher finds love while caring for blind father. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sounds really good. So yeah, it's, it's made uh, for Hallmark. I need for to sure. pitch you that. Could be played by the chick from Full House, <laughs> and and your love interest could be that guy Cody from Step by Step. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I think they're all. I think everyone that was on TGI Fridays in the '90s is on Hallmark now. I didn't watch I mean, TGI Fridays. Sure. I was too cool for that. Starring Sean from Boy Meets World. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I've been playing a lot of apps, but no, no actual cardboard games. I'm gonna play games today, though. I promise. So what? Uh, what apps have you been playing? Anything good? Patchwork a lot. <laughs> And I kicked it old school, and I've been playing a ton of Carcassonne because one of my oh, buddies yeah. that I don't get to see anymore is like just randomly texted me and was like, hey, let's play Carcassonne. I'm like, yes. So I've been playing that and a little bit of Stone Age, which I'll never turn down a game of Stone Age. So, Have you seen the Stone Age Junior? I, know, I think yes. everyone has. It's so cute. I can't wait to get that. It's super cute. It's and happen. I have no reason to own it, but I'm like tempted to. I don't I- know why. <laughs> Board Game Club is going to love that game. I can't wait. Side note, before we move to Dan's next game, this chat is amazing. Mm. Go over to YouTube and listen to the chat. Uh, Dan, what else have you been playing? I played a seizure-inducing game called Metro. Oh, man. Uh, This is basically uh, Sur of the Seas on steroids. It's a tile-laying game where you're building like these routes 
It's set in Paris. If you want some theme, um, uh, this game building, is not a theme. Uh, there's this thing drips theme. Did you the see? The theme like, of this game is lines, curvy lines. Yeah, well, I've those seen curvy it. lines have subways that traverse them. <laughs> it like, has theme I, in the way that Carcassonne has theme. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking Go about. Ahead, Dan. Go those ahead. Those farmers lay down, and I'm like, that's exactly what a farmer would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so Metro, uh, so you're trying to. Um, connect paths to get your little subway cars to another station and you score points for each um, tile that this path that you've created touches. So the game is, I like it better than Suro. I'll come out and say that right now. Suro for me is a bit too basic. While I I like it in theory, it just doesn't ever lead to anything truly exciting, at least in the plays I've had. But Metro Metro was a good laugh because you can place tiles, you know, and in front of anyone. So you just have to place a tile. You get one tile in your hand, then you place it on the board adjacent to any of the outer stations or another tile that's already placed. So what you can do is you can basically just really just bone your friends the whole game, which is awesome. Each person gets, depending on the player count, gets anywhere from like I think six to ten subway cars that they're going to be scoring. So each subway car will score once. And it was so funny because in the one game, like, it was just hilarious because if you started, like, on a corner, somebody could just play an arch piece and their cart would go into the next station and they'd score one point. And they'd be like, wait, what? Huh? And they'd get really pissed and, you know, we'd all just laugh at them, which was awesome. We did that to Smee constantly because this was so not a game for Smee and we just wanted to make him know that this was not a game for Smee, (laughs) which was (laughs) probably the best part about playing the game. But So you're trying to make long paths, but again, depending on what you draw, uh, tiles, at least in the basic... uh, game, tiles can only be placed in one direction and they're marked which direction they can face when you place them. So you're really restricted. Like early in the game, you know, you're setting them up. You don't really know what's going to happen. You kind of have a basic idea. But as the game progresses, um, there's one tile for each space on the board and you'll fill them all. So once once the board gets a little more populated, these paths start to get a little more interesting and you can start to really kind of screw with your neighbors or kind of set yourself you know, there's certain tiles you're like, ooh, I want the straight piece because that means I'm not going to get, you know, looped back on right away. At least I'll go yeah. two spaces kind of thing. So you're trying to maximize your path uh, the best you can. And I don't know. I got it. I picked it up at uh, a con flea market for 10 bucks. So I was like, you know what? It was Spearsars recommended in like 1997. Let's see what this is all about. And I liked it. I don't know that it'll stick around in my collection. But again, I liked it more than Suro. And I like tile placement. And this was... This was just a good time. Like we laughed about it. I've played it a couple times now, and it's it's always been funny. It feels Metro feels like a novelty a little bit, it, just because it's it's kind of goofy and and old. Um, I like Sorrow of the Seas. Regular Sorrow, I agree, Metro is better, but Sorrow of the Seas specifically with the dragons and moving around, I think that that's a little bit more interesting, a little bit more player interaction. This game was just super weird when we played it that that first game because, like you said, we couldn't get really long paths and we ruined Smee. Like, just like, oh, well, four of your trains are worth one point, so congrats. And there's the potential to just, like, take someone out of the game, which is kind of crazy. And then I won on some back-assward move at the end of the game. I was in last place, and the last tile had to be placed, and it just so happened that I looped, like, 30 points. Like, we just we, we all just sat there counting together, and, like, just the totals added up. It was kind of crazy. So I thought it was fun. I 
I agree that I don't, I mean, I don't know how long we're going to be playing this game. Maybe it's a good one to break out with the family, but I don't know. It's just, it was just kind of goofy. I had a good time though. Tiff might like it. I don't know. I looked at it before and I haven't bought it. And after hearing your guys' description, I'm kind of glad. Your kids would probably like it. Yeah, my kids have a thing for Suro, so. If you can find it for 10 bucks, like Dan got it for a good price, I wouldn't pay like any real money for this stuff. (laughs) I think on BGG it goes for like 25, 30 right now. And I was like, 10 bucks, whatever. I just have that in my pocket at the moment. If you have a spare gift card somewhere, maybe. Dan, you know, he just has 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks. It doesn't matter. He's a baller. He'll just buy it. Well, Dan, I never have cash. I never have cash. (laughs) He's a baller. Well, so I, <laughs> I'm not buying it, even for ten bucks. <laughs> I uh, I got to play another game. I got to play a new game last night with Smee and Steve, and this was Porta Nigra. Have either of you guys played this yet? No. No, I just said I've heard I've heard mixed things on it, so I've been hesitant. But I, I like to hear yeah. what you guys say. Well, I, I just assume it was unfair of me to assume that Tiff would have played a game. Yeah, not. Cool. I had the, I had this on pre-order actually with, and I canceled it because. It's really expensive. Um, How much yeah, is it? So, well, it's like yeah, seventy I mean, bucks retail. Let Holy me touch God. on that. So, Portanagra is a game. Who who are the designers? Dan, you love these guys, right? These Kramer are, and Keesling. Kramer and Keesling. The guy. If you ever look at Kramer's picture on BGG, he's sitting like this. He's like, it's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> look up Wolfgang Kramer's picture. I'm gonna do it right now. If I had if I had the box for um, Adventureland, I'd show you because it's on the side of it. Haba put oh, it. Yeah. He's just like looking like this. He looks like he's just yeah. He's like I, I don't know. It's not the type of picture you want on a kids game. Because like the only thing that would be worse if he had a bowl of Werther's Originals in front of him. He's like, <laughs> like Happy it's Halloween, really creepy. Uh, yeah, Tiff. Maybe you should uh, screen share when you find that lovely picture. That's what I plan to do. <laughs> So in the meantime, before that that comes through, uh, Porta Nigra is from Stronghold Games. It's a new release from Kramer Kiesling, and it's a game about building up... Where is this? Where is this set? Like Rome or Greece? Rome. Or... Let's say Rome. Because <laughs> I don't I know my ancient civilizations right now. Um, you're trying to build up... It's the gates of Rome, isn't it? Yeah, there's a wall, and there's the Porta Nigra, which is the Black Gate. There's, like, the Colosseum Amphitheater, and there's some other type of building. Essentially, it's more of, like, an abstract Euro-style game. It's got some theme, though, I guess. You know, it's fair. Uh, But what you're trying to do is you're buying and selling... Not buying and selling. You're buying and placing bricks. And these bricks are these little plastic towers, and they stack upon each other. And there's four different colors. There's blue, red, black, and... Blue, red, black, and yellow. And then there's white, which is a wild. So you've got five types of bricks, and you've got a little player board where you sort them out when you buy them. They have increasing cost from black is a dollar, and then white the wilds are five dollars. And um, the way that you do this is with a hand of two cards and like this action selection kind of mechanic. So you're going to pick a card and play it out for your turn, and you get two or three actions, depending on the card. And what you do is you take two or three actions from that card. There's upwards of five potential actions on the card that you choose. And those actions vary from buying bricks, building buildings, um, gaining scrolls, which allow you their different kind of currency, and gaining money. So with these actions, you're going around a circle. It's not really a rondelle. You're just kind of moving between these four quadrants of the board, buying the certain color bricks that you need. And then when you have the buildings that you need, you're building them out in these different areas. When you build a building, you, depending on the space that you build it on, it's there's potentially a required size. 
So two yellow bricks, or one blue brick, or three red bricks, something like that. And when you build those, you get some immediate points, and potentially, if you've met a certain requirement, you can gather these endgame um, set collection cards. And those have value at the end, depending on how many you've collected. The real big part of this game, though, is that there's a huge um, endgame scoring component. The game will end after two rounds. Each round is one cycle through your, like, ten-card deck. You play these cards and cycle through, so you get about 20 turns in the game. And at the end, it's there's four different sets of area majority. Oh, no. Is no, this, that's not him. Is no. this the thing? No? That's, that's not it. it, but that one's pretty that is good as well. <laughs> All right. How about, I'll go on, I'll about go on the lookout for it. Hey, oh, I like that one. <laughs> These that are the two good. creepiest ones I could find. Oh, no, you haven't seen this one then. Oh. He looks like a magical game wizard where he like floats his games around himself. It's right, like... that's very cool. All right, <laughs> keep searching. Um. Oh, I've got it. How do I screen share? Here we go, guys. The anticipation is killing me. I know. I really want to see this. It Sorry. better be good, Dan. Oh, trust me. Because those other pictures were pretty bad. So, ooh. Uh, look at that. <laughs> that's a little bit older picture. That's, that is a fantastic. That's on the side of the Haba box from the recent Wow. Game. I think it's recent. Adventureland, an exciting strategy game from this guy. Certainly there's got to be someone willing to take a new portrait of Wolfgang Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> where he looks a little bit more... Maybe he likes it. Friend, less friendly. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just the only the thing podcast that... like this. The only thing that portrait is missing is like another picture of him from the 80s, the little like floating head pictures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Dan mm -hmm. might. Matt yes. probably doesn't because he's yeah. a youngster. I am a child. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want that picture to be. All right. So anyway, Portanagra. Super easy, you know, kind of this action, action selection thing, but end of game scoring, huge area majorities that you need to pay attention to. You gotta know what's going on with these area majorities at the end, because they're worth, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 points um, at the end, depending on how well you do. And Steve sadly neglected. Well, he thought he understood them, and he didn't, and that hurt him. But, you know, moving on from that, that's kind of the game explanation. I, I really enjoyed the game itself. And I was worried because I heard some mixed reviews about how fiddly it was with um, maintaining this collection of bricks in the middle always needs to have a certain number. And you kind of pause the game if it ever dips below seven and you refill the market. Um, I heard some different things about the end game scoring where it can be make or break. But I guess having that knowledge, I paid attention to the end game scoring. But overall, I thought that it was super, super simple, very Wolfgang Kramer, uh, Kramer Kiesling, I should say. I've got a, I got his picture in my mind. That's why I'm just thinking about him. But overall, I thought it was a, a great game. That's like medium weight euro, goes pretty quick. Picked it up once you play like one turn. You're like, oh, I get this game. The decision from there is just, you know, where do you go? How do you compete? What do you build? As the game goes on, your options become more and more limited, and it becomes more about maximizing the potential of each move. So it, it actually gets easier as you go because it. You know, you kind of hone in on certain areas. So I really liked it. Would I pay full price for it? Probably not, because it is so expensive. But I, I mean, I thought it was a good medium weight Euro game. I think that you would like it, Dan. Tiff, you, I mean, you probably like it too. It's not like a board game club game, but no, I, I read a lot about it <clears throat> because yeah. there, it was the talk of some kind of town, and it seems like it would be nice and familiar and pleasant to play. But that yeah. price tag is a killer. It really is. Um. I like... Is he still sitting like that? I think he might be frozen. Okay. Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> that was performance art. Oh. That was performance art. It's dedication, man. 
Wow, Dan. Um, was the Kramer mime. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so the deal is, is like, I, I think that this is a really great Euro game. I think that it's approachable and it's easy to jump into. It's too expensive, though, and I don't know how much longevity you would get because other than the cards, like the, the bonus cards that you can get, the variability isn't that high. So it, it is would probably get a little min-maxi as you go um, because most of your action cards are pretty similar. There's not too much variation in them. So, like, you know, 10 games in, particularly someone like Dan would probably be done with it. I have a but, question. Yeah, go ahead. How Does this compare at all to Palaces of Carrara? Carrera, Carrera. I have not played Palaces of Carrera, but Palaces of Carrera is kind of like Vikings, and I played Vikings. Because hmm. so they're buildings, know. they're different buildings in different locations and different colors. I would say that it feels familiar to their other titles that I've seen and played. You know, because I know I know a bit about their titles. I mean, not 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 Adventureland, but in terms of these like strict building gathering kind of <laughs> circular board kind of things, there's a couple of games that I've seen from them that build in a similar way. Gotcha. But I do think that it was unique enough to separate itself from those other games. Is it better than them? I don't know. So if you only want one of these style of games, you might want to try them before you just kind of jump into Porto Negro. But I'd say if this goes on sale, if you can get it for like 40 bucks, it's probably worth it. Cool. I don't know. You you had this on pre-order. What made you cancel? If I'm being honest, because Stronghold Games will be 50% off in three months, so I'm not going to pay yeah. 60, 70 bucks for it. This one, didn't feel, this one didn't feel too, like, uh, choosing my words carefully here, it didn't feel that chintzy, I should say. Like, you know, when you when you played Panamax and you're like, this Panamax money is terrible. This has great components. I like the plastic little buildings. Well, um, it's, an, it's, it's, I think it was a Pegasus spiel to begin with. So when they uh, okay. when he brings them over, they're typically good. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I like all of the games he's he's put out. I just I find that I don't know. I don't know if it's something with how he does his his ordering or whatever, but it just seems like they go on sale so quickly. Um they get really yes. hyped up and everyone's like, "Whoa, cool." And then like the initial wave of people buy them and then they go on sale. So, I've just I've started yeah. holding off and I got burned on my last pre-order of Medina with him. Um he always promises when you get them that you'll have like three weeks ahead of time before it goes to the store, and I think I got my Medina the same day it hit retail, which yeah. that really annoyed me, because I was like, I didn't need to pay you $15 shipping and, you know, 50 bucks six months ago. I could have just waited for today. So, all in all, I think pre-ordering in board games is silly, especially yeah. now, because the big boys all are going to get their distribution models in order. And I think we had this conversation with Ben yesterday on our on our Slack convo. Like he was talking about Dead of Winter, uh, the pre-order is now much more expensive to ship, and that either has to do with it coming from Canada now or further away in Texas or whatever. But the thing is, with with Plaid Hat, for instance, them being under the F2Z umbrella, F2Z can distribute greater numbers than yeah. what Plaid Hat was doing when they first originally came out with Dead of Winter. So I told him, I was like, I don't understand why you need to pre-order. You can get the promo at Origins, and you can get the rest at either um, the local shop, or you can get it on Cool Stuff in like a week. Yeah. To be fair, I ordered Stronghold 2nd Edition before the holiday. They had a deal where um, Stephen Monacore tweeted out, like, if you order it, you'll get the discounted price and you'll get it before like the holidays which stronghold only came out like a month or so ago in retail and i did get it on time like he he held his end of the bargain on that one so i haven't had the same experience as you but i know that you warned me cuz i was going to order some of these games and you're like just don't it's not worth it these pre-orders aren't worth it anymore because you can get the the discounted price or better somewhere else and like you said all the promos are available 
I don't know. Is it, I mean, is there value to supporting the company in that way directly, though? I don't know. That would be my thought. I think if you really super believe in the game, but if you're on the fence about it, I mean, I've been burned a couple of times pre-ordering stuff. Yeah. It's mostly not worth it, but if you yeah. are really super passionate about a particular game, it's probably worth it to support the publisher. Yeah. I'd almost rather put, and as much as I'm not in a Kickstarter mood, I'd almost rather put money I would spend on a, a big publisher's pre-order into a Kickstarter starter where someone else could use the money more you know if i'm going to be waiting six months regardless i'd yeah, rather put okay. it into a, a more of a passion project than this giant company that doesn't really need that all that much but yeah that's fair that's fair all right well uh any other games that anybody wants to talk about or shall we move on to our next segment we can move on all right tiff you got a you got a bumper music for me tiff i do let's try awesome. this one <laughs> That is live recorded by Tiff. <laughs> yeah, I just performed that with my mind. <laughs> All right, everyone. So we are back, and we are going to jump into our first segment today, and it is filler feature. We got a couple of games to talk about. I have a couple of games to talk about that I've been carrying around in my game bag. Tiny games that are a lot of fun. And the first one up is called Panda Head. And Panda Head is from R&R Games and designers Aaron Weisbloom or Weisbloom. Dan, do you have a, a German accent that you can do? Yeah. Just, I, that's all. That's, that's it. German? That's all he's got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, Norman Woods. This is a two to five player trick taking game. And it looks a little something like this. Panda Head. Ooh. What um, a terrible name. It, well, yeah. Let's go ahead and just dive right into how <laughs> we're feeling about that. <laughs> the cards look like this. They're fantastic. They have pandas. These are pandas, giant panda heads. They are pandas wearing human costumes, not humans wearing panda heads. In right. In case you didn't know. I get the title. I, I understand that it works. Like, those are heads of pandas on human bodies. But No, 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 no. no. They're pandas wearing human costumes. Costumes. Okay. But really, we couldn't come up Aren't with something better. Are they adorable? Better. They are adorable. Like, All you right. can just, like, he just, like, pops out of nowhere. <laughs> It's kind of like if you look at it long <laughs> enough, it's a little horrifying. Yeah, it's a little Like, terrifying. I wouldn't want to wake up to seeing that picture. Like, ah, <laughs> just slowly moving yeah. toward me. Okay, sorry. I'd rather you wake up to a real game. panda than the aggressively cartoon happy panda. Uh, but anyway, so Panda Head, trick-taking game. And uh, Dan, I played Five Cucumbers once. Dan said that it's pretty reminiscent of that. I think I'd agree with that. Tiff, have you played Five Cucumbers? You mean Fumpgurken? Fumpgurken. Yes. I love yeah, that game. You're a fan of the Fumfgurken. So apparently, the, you know, this has similarities. In this game, you have rounds, which are seven cards apiece. So everyone gets seven cards, and you're going to play seven tricks in a row. The first six tricks don't matter, but you're trying to engineer your hand in a certain way. On the seventh trick, whoever takes the trick, which is highest card played that round, will take the, the trick and score as many points as that card that they played. And points are bad in this game. When you follow a trick, you play equal to or higher than. If you can't follow, you have to play your lowest card. So low cards are good for that seventh trick because you're less likely to take the points. So you're trying to engineer your hand and work out through the first six tricks so that you're not taking that seventh trick. When you take points, if you get to 21 points, you become a drowsy panda and you start to fall asleep. And then you decrease your score to the next highest score available. You know, the next, the person in second place 
of losing. And then you keep playing, and if you hit 21 a second time, then you're a sleepy panda and you're out of the game. And it's last person standing. So what I like about this game is that unique trait. Uh, unique trick-taking aspect. So you're looking at your hand, and the way that you evaluate your hand is, how does it get me to the seventh trick? And some of the cards in between don't always matter, so you have some flexibility in terms of, you know, when do I play certain things? You can recover from some bad plays or from mistakes. But when you get down to, like, your last three cards, you have to be super mindful of, you know, what you're playing, how you're playing it. So it toes the balance between paying attention and just kind of being a light filler card game. And I like that, you know. It's got a little bit of thought to it, but it's not overwhelming. So in that realm, and it's super approachable. You know, families can play it. There are reviews. We check the forums. You know, people are playing it with young kids. People are playing it with families. Holds up to five players. So a lot of things to like about Creepy Panda Head. It is cheap. I mean, you know, standard filler style cost. Um, like 15 bucks maybe, Dan? Is that right? Something like that. Something like that. And, um, you know, it's it's different enough. You know, I don't know how far away from Fumf Gherkin you feel like it would be. So if you have that one, you may not need this one. But, you know, I like it because I don't have any trick-taking games that do this kind of thing. The one issue that I will throw out there is that this game is billed as 10 to 15 minutes, and there is no way that this game is 10 to 15 minutes. We played this... Last night we played it with the intention of timing. So we timed ourselves for 20 minutes, that's the max time on the box, and we played as many hands as we could in 20 minutes. And we shuffled up and dealt, shuffled up and dealt, played at a really good clip. At the 20-minute mark, Steve had just been... Steve had just fallen asleep, hit hit 21 for the first time. Nobody else had hit 21. And the next highest score was 9 points. Hmm. So Steve was going to go back down to 9 points, and we were going to keep playing until 3 people got eliminated. There is no way this game takes less than an hour, which is why... In terms of filler feature, I say this game is awesome if you don't play by the prescribed rules. Because <laughs> I really I really like this game and I think that people should play it. But I would say come up with a house rule where like the first time somebody hits 21, lowest score wins. And then just play another game of it. Like reshuffle and deal. Start from the beginning. Or I engineer it some way where, you know, once you hit 21, you're out the first time. Because... The whole, like, replaying, going back... You could potentially go back to zero and play a whole nother round um, back to 21. It just takes way too long. Yeah, I don't know how this got through testing and got a 10 to 15 or 10 to 20 minute box time. So that's my issue is that it's terribly misleading in terms of game length, but the game itself is great. Everyone liked it. It hmm. just, we we called it quits both times we played. I mean, we just said, this was fun. We enjoyed our time. Let's stop. And everyone was cool with it. You know, it is a filler game, so we treated it as a filler game, but that was my yeah. big issue. Yeah, I like it better than Fumfgurken, actually. I find Fufkarnkin to be a little bit too simplistic and kind of a snooze, to be honest. Yeah. The and plus the player elimination Fufkarnkin is kind of silly, but um, the the way it compares for anyone who has played Fufkarnkin, as Matt mentioned, like the you're trying to not win the last trick, but in Pandahead they have these different cards that have small powers on them, so they've got a plus two card which adds plus two to any of the the numbers you play, and then you draw a new card, so you're getting rid of two cards, drawing one. And then they've got the panda card, which acts as plus one to whatever the highest played card already is. So it's kind of like a wild in that in that way. So a couple of small mix-ups. So like in Fumfgurken, it's just straight numbers. So there's a couple of small, and they're not huge powers, and they they make sense, and they don't blow it out of proportion whatsoever. But I thought they added a couple of different layers of uh, tactic on top of your hand, which was pretty cool. 
but I, I totally agree. The timing on this is ridiculous, and I, I think it needs to be house-ruled to, to bring down that number um, yeah. significantly. Kel went on a tear with this game. She said, I need to know what people are saying. So she went on the forums, and like the first forum, or first thread on the, the BGG forum is like, there's no way this game takes this long. And then she started watching some reviews, and reviewers are not mentioning this game time. So we were really worried that we were doing something wrong. We're like, why doesn't anybody mention the game time? And I had Smee, our... our rules expert double check and he was he confirmed that we were playing correctly so i don't know what was going on with this game time but the game itself is great i love it i think it needs some attention the art is horrible the, the art is like this is tiff's kind of art as we talk <laughs> i was about. gonna it's say just, i like it creepy. i think it's fine it's super creepy like i don't know it's you just, really like hand it through her sometimes <laughs> so uh, anyway <laughs> So definitely wanted to check out um, Panda Head from R&R Games. So our next filler feature that we have to talk about is a game that I also really enjoy, and that is Hocus. Hocus is a poker-style game, and oops, this is from Hyperbole Games, is that right? And uh, the designers are Grant Rodiak and Joshua... Oh, I'm going to butcher her last name. It's like Burgle or something like that. Burgle? Burgle? Yeah, we're going to say Burgle. Buergle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Aww. Joshua. But uh, it's, a, like I said, a poker-style game, and it looks like this. This is what Hocus looks like. This is what Dan got me for Christmas, actually. I was super surprised. I had seen this game on uh, Twitter before. They were posting about, hey, do people want to print this out? Playtest it, let us know what you think. Wasn't this the game that had the whole thing, like the naming convention? Like, this has been through, like, eight iterations of what it would be called. Dan got this for me for Christmas, like I said. I guess he kickstarted it. Didn't expect it at all. Wasn't on my radar um, in terms of games that I may have gotten. Like, I had given a Christmas list of things I was interested in, but this popped up, and I love it. I'm really excited about it. Essentially, what it is, is Texas Hold'em for Wizards kind of thing. So, you're dealt a hand of cards, nine or ten cards, depending on the player, and these cards are numbered from zero to thirteen, I believe. Maybe fourteen. You take a certain number of cards out for the player count. And this hand of cards is going to be, can potentially be anything, any part of a poker game. It can be your bets or the pot. It can be the community cards or it can be your pocket cards. And you are going to be simultaneously building the poker board with your player, with your opponents, and trying to create the best hands and play two sets of poker at the same time. So you're trying to create two hands of poker, two communities, and two pots all together. And what's going to happen is the round is going to end, and you're going to create your best poker hand once both of those communities are full of four cards each. So you're laying cards down, you're laying cards in your pocket, you're trying to finagle things so that, you know, you've got three of a kind, you've got a straight, you've got a flush, things like that. But you have these spell powers, which are individual player powers, and each person gets a different set. You've got a couple basic ones and then these special ones. And this type of magic lets you draw extra cards. This type of magic lets you play cards face down. This type of magic lets you, you know, take cards out of the pot and put new cards in. So there's a lot... It's it's chaotic is a good word, um, but it's so much fun. It takes the randomness and probability of poker and just like it feels very wizardy because it's all over the place. I'm getting on a little bit of a of a rant on how excited I am about this game because I think that it's just such a lot of fun. It's such a nice take on a poker style game. Um, I played Pandante, which is like the only other hobby game poker game that I've really played, and I 
it just never clicked for any of us. It was too convoluted. It was complicated. I didn't enjoy it. No, Everyone wanted to like it, but it didn't really work. And I played regular Texas Hold'em, and that gets a little bland after a while. So this is a nice hobby-style poker game that feels like hand management card play, but also has this poker element to it. So I really dug it. I don't know if you guys are into that style of game. Um, I know Dan played it, so I'll let you guys chat. Go ahead, Tiff. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't sound like my kind of game. Yeah. I, yeah. Hand management card game, not like top of my list for things to pick up. What does Dan think about it? That might color my opinion better. I I thought the game itself was interesting. Um, I thought, in theory, it worked... It worked well. It took me about two full hands to kind of grok setting up pots and setting up the community and working with what I was dealt, which was not always good. Um, similar to real poker, except you can't fold in this, other than just kind of giving up. But yeah. I don't see this being for anyone that's not really a gamer. Um, I would not put yeah. this in front of... I, my friends and I love poker. We'll play poker. We play poker a lot, and... I would not put this in front of them because at the end of the day, I think we'd rather just play poker. This wizard-style poker is cool. It's novel. I think the game works really well. I think it's a very well-designed game. And I, I had fun once I kind of, like I said, grokked everything that was going on because it was a lot to go. You know, you had special powers. and Now, I will say, if and I don't know if this is a variant or not, if the special powers could be taken out, it might be more accessible but yes. I believe those kind of those cross that line between a gamer's game and a, a more casual game. I think those just understanding what everyone else could do because each person had three, and in you know a game of four people, you got twelve special powers sitting around the table. You got to keep track of, um, and it's not like tracking it like oh I need to know every time you do something, but just kind of knowing the repercussions of you placing this card face up, face down, whatever, um, how they could manipulate it because you can sneak in at the end and like steal a pot using one of these powers. So you have to be you have to be cognizant of them. Um, I'm not yeah. saying you have to kind of stare at them the whole game, but again I think it's I don't think if this game applies to more casual gamers. I think it just I think it just walks it toes that line and goes over it more into a more gamers game. Um, and I would not, I would not put this in front of my my college friends that you know my poker group. I would not put it in front of them. No, I think I agree with everything you just said, Dan. Like it's it's not a replacement for Texas Hold'em. You're not gonna your friends who watch World Series of Poker are not really gonna buy into this because it is a little too random, a little too chaotic. Um, you can take out the special powers. They say go ahead and do that for your first game just to learn the game. It's modular to some extent because you can push and pull different things in different directions. There are some bonus abilities on the cards that you cannot play with to treat it more like regular poker. Um, you can take out those individual powers. You can put certain schools of magic in that are more advanced that add some um, some new mechanics, which we haven't played yet, but I reviewed them, and I think they'd be interesting, but again, it just kind of gives you more things to to look after, and when I sat down with, like, Kel and Ben and things like that, that I felt comfortable bringing out those extra pieces because we're gamers, and because I didn't think that we were going to have too much fun just playing the stock game, because it, it's a little more casual, it's a little yeah. more bland, but that's appropriate for certain groups. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I say that, but I wouldn't, I'd rather just play poker in that case. Like, I yeah, think the yeah, spells yeah. and the special abilities are what make it quote wizard poker yeah but i think it's just yeah it needs it needs a certain type of group because it while it is a good game i just don't see it and my other thing is i i guess it's the gambler in me but i want to play for money i don't want to play for now see could you play for money 
Yeah, it's I'm with you random though. I don't know. Like I, I like in regular poker how I can strategically fold. You can't strategically yeah. fold in this. You'd have to keep. You'd have to find a way to to tailor the ante and the betting to. Yeah, I don't know. I would like to try and possible. play it for money, just because. I yeah, that's just me. I, like I was interested it. in like either turning it into a drinking game or turning it into a money game. Making it adult in some way. Um, I think that I think that you might be able to do it because you can like you you don't have to make pocket cards, you don't have to participate, and nothing forces you to put money in the pot. So I think that there's a possibility there where you can kind of refrain. I think it might hurt the spirit of the game though if one player just kind of checks out and says, "Well, I'm not going to play this hand." Um, but at the same time, because you have ten cards in your hand, it's kind of crazy. You can you can manipulate for those big hands. You know, you you get flushes and full houses and, and some of those higher-valued hands more frequently than a standard game of poker where sometimes you win on two pair, sometimes you win on a, you know, a good pocket pair. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I love about it because in poker, where this differs, again, is I, I feel like in poker you're playing not only the cards but the people. Yeah. This one, oh, yeah. it was just too chaotic. I couldn't even keep track of what everyone yeah. was trying to yeah, do or what they really, could do. So, yeah, I, I love the the bluffing aspect of, of base Texas Hold'em. But this yeah. was a good game. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take that away from yeah. it. I thought it was I thought it was fun, and with the right crowd, it'd be it works really well. Yeah. Definitely not a replacement for poker, but a fun gamers game. Don't even you know maybe don't even treat it like po- don't tell people this is let's play some magic poker. Just say let's play this game, and people will say oh this is kind of like poker, and you'll say yeah. So that's Hocus, and that is our second filler feature game. Game. A lot of fun. I like both of these games. Um, super cheap and affordable. So things to check out. Hocus and Panda Head. Tiff, hmm. tell me you got one more bumper for me. I do. Because we're going to take a break and come back and do three up, three down. Okay, let's do this. Can we just get that on a continuous loop? <laughs> I could loop it if need be. Those are my yeah. kind of fat beats, yo. Welcome to our next segment, Dan's Dance Party. Uh, <laughs> I'll dance party the shit out of that. You put some Only more available to the YouTube subscribers. Uh, no, this is Three Up, Three Down, a segment where we talk about what is up in our gaming lives and what is not doing so hot for us in our gaming lives. Um, a great segment. I really like this. We should do this more often. This is my we're first one. Oh, this is Tiff's first one because Dan and I did this, just me and him, last time. So we are going to go around. You guys want to do positives, negatives, balance them out? How do you want to do it? Let's start with the bad. Whatever. Let's start with the bad. All right. So... Let's start with Tiff, because she hasn't been able to participate at all this episode. <laughs> I've been participating. Because I've, she doesn't play games. I've been fully engaged in your magic poker explanation. <laughs> Fascinating. Tiff. Oh, what? Give me, oh. Give me your downs, or, or a down, <clears throat> whatever you want to do. Just all give right. me a down. Playing games are definitely down. <laughs> I'm sad about that. Uh, but I already talked about that. It's just been a busy month, and I have uh, games today and PaneraCon next weekend, so games will be yeah. up next time we do this. Uh, but I wanted to just mention Fuse is way, 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 way down. Oh, please tell me. Uh, so <laughs> I... I when I first played this game I was like oh this is clever because it's real time and it's cooperative and it actually kind of feels like you're diffusing things and there's stress and it's fun but uh, after you've played it I'd say three times you're done you're done three three. yeah after I've played after I personally played it three times 30 total minutes of gameplay I know (laughs) 
It's just, I mean, it's a little samey. You're doing the same things. And my kids in my board game club are still playing it. So I guess that's why it's more down because I've been sort of forced to play it past my need to play it, which, yep. I mean, it happens a lot because the kids are have a way longer attention span for games than I do, weirdly. I don't know. And they've gotten really good at it. So they're like, we they beat it every time so it's like what's the point when you're playing a cooperative game that you know you're playing against the game you want to be able to like it to be a challenge and it becomes not a challenge after you've done it and you have you've sort of worked out your system for you know taking dice i think that's Mm -hmm. probably the most interesting part about the game is you i've talked about it before but you roll a pool of dice and everybody has to be able to take one from there so once you figure out how to communicate what you're taking, what you need in an effective, efficient way, there's really not much more challenge once you've got that going. Mm. So unless you're playing with new players, the replayability is not as so good. There's no way to bump the difficulty? You could do that. The, the only thing that determines the difficulty is how many bombs you have to defuse in yeah. the time period. So you could just keep going. But they've gotten, I forget what the highest level of, my kids who play this have gotten so good at it that the highest level in the rule book that's like insane level, they've, they can beat that easily every time. Yeah. So they have to make up the crazy insane level. And it's kind of like, mm. like if you've mm. beat it past where the rule book says it should be impossible, <laughs> it kind of feels like, well, all right, we're done with it. I, well, I yeah. close the book on it. The kids keep playing it. So I guess that means it's a good game for kids. But you want nothing to do with it. I don't ever want to play it ever, ever, ever again. I mean, I bought it for my personal collection, yeah. but I've donated it to the club now. And I haven't played it with any of my adult friends because I don't think any of them would like it. <laughs> like, real time is hard. Like, not a lot of people yeah. are into it. And my group doesn't like a stressful game so i think there's better real-time games maybe name one what what should i be playing in real time escape Nothing. oh okay yeah i have escape you should be playing escape that's the only one i've ever Dutch liked Lit, or you should be playing uh what's that tessin you should be playing lots of tessin oh i love tessin okay i feel yeah. better now so should i do all <laughs> my downs or i mean how's this work my first time here? uh well why don't we rotate okay I already yeah, did Dan, two Dan, of my downs. Sorry. Give me, give me a down. Make me feel bad. Because you guys think I'm always down, but I'm not. I'm an yeah, upper. Dan actually is. Look he's at playing that smile. Six down, zero up. Yep. This is six <laughs> down, zero. No. Um. So first thing on my down list is micro games, and I might have touched on this before, but man, are they not that satisfying <laughs> anymore to me? Um, yeah. And it's not to say they're badly designed or they're, you know, they're just they're bad games. It's just I don't I don't know at this point at this point I'm really into the medium to heavier weight games and like the satisfying choices and the just the chunkiness of the pieces and everything like that and you lose all that with micro games um, they're usually just like five or six cards and like a token and it's like ah like I there all the tactile elements of board games that I love like go out the window and. While there are some really good games that have some really, you know, great choices and, you know, interactivity between the players, like, I just, it's grinded on me lately. I'm not, not to say, you know, there's some good ones that I still have in my collection and I like, but. 
Have you played a micro game lately? Yes. Yes, we've played a few. Okay. Um, I have played a few. I have um, it. That's why I wondered. Well, I've played a lot of lighter games as of late, which is, you know, just depending on group and who's around and, you know, things we've gotten. But It was a fad. It was a board gaming it fad. Is. So It was, yeah. definitely. People but got I will all... say that... Oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. People no, got no, no. all beezed up about Love Letter. And Love Letter, I still play, especially Love Letters. Love Letter's genius. Yeah. Love Letter's genius. That's, that's probably my favorite. I, I'd also say Coin Age. Coin Age for me is one of those, it's like, damn, that's cool. Kind of the way it, the coins and the little tiny map. And I really like that game a lot. Okay, I'll um, give you that one too. But otherwise, I can't think of a micro game that I didn't play once and be like, eh. Well, yeah. that's what I'm going to say. So let me, let me take a poll. So yay or nay, who here has bought a micro game? Yay. Ever? All of us, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Who here has ever, not for a game night, not with a bag of games in tow, ever put a micro game in their wallet or pocket and walked around with it? I have. I have. Yeah. Vacation. Really? Vacation. No, I, I never. Have, I never take them. They're always in a bag have, with all my other games. I have Brave Rats and Love Letters sleeved in the same sleeves, and I carry that in my book bag. Yeah, um, I have a copy of Batman Love Letter that I carry around all the time. You guys are weird. <laughs> I guess you're the you're the reason micro games exist. Oh no! Well, I like that. Yeah, I like those. But even like we we reviewed the pack of games. I find yeah. them to be again. I, I'll use the word genius because I think what Chris Handy did was is pretty damn innovative and awesome they're great they have a variety in mechanics a variety in player counts and play lengths i think they they definitely serve a niche market would i throw a you know a pack of game on the table at game night probably not would i stick it in my book bag on vacation Probably. So, like, they they serve a specific time frame, and it's vacation for me, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. As we just talked about, like, it's only this big. I can fit that in my backpack. I don't need a game that's the size of gum. And I, I, I agree with you that they are good games, and I like them, but when I face the reality, like, they're, I can make things super compact. I can make bigger games more compact. Yeah, I, that's definitely a thing that I'm more inclined to do. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I'm like just you should have seen me for Origins. I fit like 18 games into the Tosh Kalar box. <laughs> it's just not a fad that I'm I'm on board with anymore. So I'm with you. I'm with you. So one of my downs is playing games once. I hate you. Your I... downs are ups, you jerk. That's an up playing games once. Like what you're, do you mean? you're that means you're playing games more than one time. No, no, no. Okay, right? so wait. So, so wait, it's wait, actually me, an up. Let right? me word this correctly then. One of my downs should be playing games multiple times. I am currently oh. down on playing games once. I am not happy with it. Oh, okay. That's that makes sad. more sense. I yeah. thought you were like, oh, I'm not playing games once anymore. That's terrible. No, no, not frequency. <laughs> okay, I, I got it. Been, I've been going through my New Year's resolution to try to play all my unplayed games. I'm having fun doing it. Great time. I'm playing all kinds of new games. I own, you know, I own these games, so I should be playing them. But what I'm finding is that as I try to push through my New Year's resolution, I'm only playing these games once and I'm moving on to a new thing. And I am not enjoying that aspect of it because I'm playing cool new games and then I'm like, but look at that stack. It's right behind me. I'm like, I got to read these rule books. I got to learn new games. And then I got to teach Kel and Ben and Dan and all these people. You know, I got to keep trying to teach new games and I, I like teaching games, but I don't I don't have time. I'd rather spend my time playing a game I know how to play than reading a new rule book. Like, I keep pulling out Rune Wars, and I don't want to go through this 37-page rule book. Oh, my God. I'm j I just want to play games that I know and play games more than once and get good at them and or get better at them. And I, I've been feeling very... It's not Call to the New, because these are all old games, but... <laughs> 
I'm feeling like stressed out about having to keep doing new games all the time. This is making me really sad for you. How do you guys do this? (laughs) How do you just play a game once and then move on to the next game and not go back to that game? I replay games sometimes. I know, and I'm not saying that you guys never replay games, but I'm just saying. Yeah, well, I mean, I I guess I don't always teach the new games that I'm doing. So, like, I I could see if, uh, if every time I had to play a new game, I had to teach it, that would be sad. That would be hard, but it's not always me. Yeah, is that I've all these games here. I know that when I look at this stack, I'm the one that's got to read them and teach them. And there's a whole bunch of them. Got it. But I guess I'm complaining about nothing. It's understandable. So, Tiff, your third and final down because you've already done two. Yeah, uh, trade successes are down. I yeah. I've tried I'm I've been trying really hard to get Oregon and Dan got it this week in trade which really was upsetting. He scooped you? <laughs> well, he got it for nothing personal and I traded that a long time ago for five tribes. So it's fine. Yeah. I I stand I, behind that trade. Yeah, I I also had it on my want and trade list when Tiff talked about it last episode and it's just one that has never and it was just kind of one of those serendipitous moments that like literally after we recorded like on that Tuesday or whatever someone messaged me and said mm. we trade nothing personal for it and I said I sure will glad and I can help you out with that you can have it and I to be fair I asked Tip if she had nothing personal still because I would have let her do the swap because that's the kind of guy I am I'm a nice person <laughs> deep down this soul <laughs> is good mm-hmm. but she said she had already traded it so I I just sent it so it's fine it's fine because I've just broke down a bought it this morning okay i'm just tired you should have let me play it first i thought about that but i'm just tired of searching for it and i want it and while we line up on a lot of games i don't necessarily 100 percent trust that if you don't like it i'm not gonna like it so i don't know it's fine it wasn't very expensive and i haven't bought games i've bought like two filler games since Jan- January 1. So I felt fine spending a little bit of money on a game. Tiff can't move on to her next favorite theme until she completes the Frontier theme. Yeah, I've got to do it. <laughs> so she's got to finish her collection first. That's the facts. Yep. My, uh, my, wait, so that was, oh, that was you, Tiff. Dan, give me another down. All this down. Um, mine's <laughs> the opposite of Tiff's. I, buying games is down, which is good. I'm... I just said my buying games is down. Yeah, that's why I felt. Though. But then you just bought one this morning. I bought one game. It's still down. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, mine is down as well. I um, in, in terms of me, in, you know, in the context of my previous buying habits, I am way, way, way down. Um, I think I've only bought six games this year in three months, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. That's two a month, and they're varying sizes. And two of them were at a flea market, as I think I mentioned last episode. Uh, but yeah, it's it's overall down, which is good, and that ties into kind of what Matt said. While I'm all for playing games once, I just I'm the kind of guy right now that likes to get in a variety, and I think that links to one of my ups, which I'll talk into a minute. I just like to see what's out there, and the ones that are good, they're staying in my collection. The ones that are bad are getting out immediately. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But overall, buying them is pretty sweet. I'm actually trying to sell more and then use the ones that I sell to fund buying new ones and or my conventions. So I'm doing pretty well. Very sensible. We have no time for that here. (laughs) Sensibility. It's not. I mean, well, yeah. It's really going to buy my mountain bike, my new mountain bike, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Next month, uh, playing games will be down because Dan will be mountain biking. Yeah, I've made a mint selling three out-of-print games this past 
two weeks. So I'm buying a bike too, but it's not a mountain bike. I'm buying no an old lady boats. cruiser bike. Wait, will it have a basket? Yes, I'm getting a basket. A banana seat? No, I couldn't find one with a banana seat. Plus, I don't think a banana seat would be very comfortable. But I am buying a bike so I can bike out with all my photography gear this summer. Take pretty oh, pictures. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, you can go by the senior center and take pictures there. Sure, why not? <laughs> Those are my people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, my next down is board game media consumption. I am not doing so well. One reason is that I have an overload of podcasts right now. And the morning stream being a daily show and my commute being shorter is really messing with my ability to listen to shows. You can take all a right. week off. Of what? Of the morning stream or take a day off and just but listen to... I'm behind. I, I, okay. Like I'll just get further and further behind and none of their jokes will be relevant. They're a daily show, Tiff. Yeah, well, I mean, I listen too, but you'll be okay. I promise. I've I've well, missed shows. It's okay. Yeah, I, I've gotten into basically, I'm trying to be more choosy with my media. I'm reading the uh, episode descriptions. I used to just listen to whatever. Now I got to pick and choose. So I'm like going through Radiolab, post something new. I got to read if I'm actually interested in that topic. Stuff we should know post uh, three episodes a week i gotta read to see if i'm actually interested in so this is trying practically keep... an up because you're just listening to higher quality media i mean no i mean i think that all the media that i listen to is quality i'm just trying to tailor it to things that i'm like most interested in but i'd love to listen to all of this stuff like i had to delete a couple of episodes of the dice tower because i wasn't interested in some of the things and like I'm like, I just finished an episode of Low Player Count from like two weeks ago because I listened to half of it and then got sidetracked and then I went back and listened to the end of their top five two-player games. Like, I'm all over the place with my media and I wanted to be more consistent, but I don't have... I don't know. It's just been super weird. Um, which I'm is it's a bummer because I... What did you say, to Or uh, Dan? I said I'm going to be the exact opposite because my new job has a, a longer commute, so I'm going to need yeah. stuff to, to fill it in. Um just a, a quick shout out to uh, Anthony over at the Cardboard Jungle. He they just did their podcast podcast where they talk about some of their favorite podcasts and yeah. he mentioned us as one of his favorites. So I just thought cool. that was really cool. And uh, yeah, so thanks Anthony, we appreciate that. I was trying to get too. Episode on my way home last night or yesterday, but I couldn't I couldn't get to work. But they do go over they go over a ton of other shows, and I actually took note of a few that I wasn't listening to or were dormant. So I'm looking yeah. to refresh my list slightly because my commute's going to be almost double, which is yeah. okay. I don't mind. I I start listening to podcasts at like 6:30 in the morning when I take my shower, and then I have like a 10 minute commute, which is a bummer. But I I try to keep listening. About a Why do you commute? listen to podcasts in the shower? That's I do creepy. too. You know what? Weird. <laughs> I don't want people's yeah, no, voices in my ear while I'm trying to like scrub myself. Oh yeah, Tom Vassell's in the shower with me. Ah. Oh god, <laughs> there. No, get out of there, Tom Vassell. Craig's there from Botch Games. Dan, sometimes you're there. Ooh, it's okay. This is getting weird. Let's move on. <laughs> Tiff, you're out of downs. Dan's got another down, and I've got another down. Let's burn through them. All right, I'm just gonna burn through it. Uh, I've talked about forty-five thousand times, but Kickstarter. Um, I'd like to thank. Assume this is that's just permanent down. It's gonna be. It is permanent down because literally, like last two months, there was like 700 projects on Kickstarter, and they all had something interesting about them that I I was like, oh cool, I'd like to do that. But man, I really wish they'd all get together and like space them out more. I know, I, I know they can't. It's <laughs> then they don't talk to each other and they're all competitors. But that wouldn't make I, good I was business really, sense. There I had are to be really months. picky. Oh. Yeah, I know that makes. I know they got to get them out for the end of the year and after the Chinese New Year. All that's. I know the business part of it, but it's just really annoying. And I will say that it's gonna. 
it's going to tail off for me now because now we're getting into the games that are going to start having 2017 dates on them, and I pretty much just said, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll wait till 2017." Sorry, guys, because sure. again, it's like Kickstarter again. I guess uh, let me be more specific. How about Kickstarter exclusives are starting? They're getting on my nerves because they're not exclusive anymore, and it's almost like false advertising. I mean, coming from someone who works in investments, where fair, clear, and not misleading is like the mantra. The Kickstarter projects are just bothering me because they they say they're not they're Kickstarter exclusive and then somewhere like in an update or in like the bottom and like size four font they'll say, but in six months we'll sell this to you at a con or yeah. on BGG store and I'm like well then don't put exclusive put Kickstarter now or something you know what I mean like it's not exclusive <laughs> like that's that word needs to go away so there we go that's my down the word Kickstarter exclusive. The phrase Kickstarter exclusive. It should be Kickstarter early release. Yeah. Yeah. Get it before everyone else kind of thing. Not exclusive. That gets on my nerves. Some companies have done a good job about it, but like Cool Mini or not seems to have done pretty well. But I think they're all gonna cave because even Cool Mini sells them at cons. So Yeah, they're just it's just the price at that point. Yep. But anyway, alright. My last down is gonna fold into one of my ups, so we'll keep this rolling. Guys, I've done a bad thing. One of my New Year's resolutions is down. Which one? I- yeah, he bought I, a game. I bought a game. Captain Impulsive went and bought like 17 games. <laughs> Who, me? Yeah, you bought like the whole Netrunner first set. Yeah, that's not 17 games, that's one game. It's one game plus like seven expansions. That's a huge time commitment too. I all right all right so let's talk about it one of my Gee, resolutions I was going to call you out on it if you didn't say it so I was not going to buy a game until I played my unplayed stack and then Craig from Botch Games went and ruined me and said hey I'm going to buy a Netrunner. I said, damn, I could play Netrunner with Craig. So I bought two core sets, and I bought the first cycle of packs. I'm back I'm back in it. Back in it. I Tiff, played... how long are we gonna, do you want to take bets now on how long he stays in it? I, I bet he's trading <laughs> me by the end We just start a pool. Year. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I'm back Aww. in it. Um, end of the year. End of the year. It's traded. Well, and that's I'm okay with that though. Like I, so the reason why I traded is because I wasn't playing it. I now have an opponent to play. I played it six times in the last week. We've had three different Skype sessions. I played with Steve and Craig, and I only bought the first cycle. So it's about it was like a hundred dollars. So I spent a hundred dollars. I got Netrunner, and um, I, you know, I'm playing it. So if I trade it in a year, I'm okay with that. Like if or so... nine months, whatever it is. But. I just feel bad because I broke my resolution. Yeah, so your resolution is toast. Yeah. Tiff and I are yeah. still on track. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's because yours didn't have like terminal or measurable outcomes, but very measurable. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... I ruined it. I'm I'm sad. I'm pretty depressed <laughs> about he... it. You guys aren't going to leave me alone you, about it. You seem real depressed. Us, wasn't he criticizing us last time that we didn't make small measurable goals that became be accomplished? Criticizing? <laughs> did I? A little bit. Maybe a little. bit. No, but bit. you kind of bragged about your ability to make small, comprehensible. Well, not comprehensible. Sorry. No, I mean I stand by my goals. I made good goals. I just didn't follow it. <laughs> Tiff, right. virtual high five. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of my ups is Netrunner. Like I said, played it six times, loving it. I fell right back into place. So Game's really, amazing. your down is an up again. Pick a real. Well, down. I mean, my down is that you guys aren't going to leave me alone about my New Year's resolution. But anymore. that's an up, up too, because look how happy we are. <laughs> <laughs> You've I'm brought playing. joy into my life. The yeah. only good thing is that we won't have to do that New Year's resolution checkup segment anymore because Matt won't want to relive that he's failed for the yeah. next nine months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but Netrunner's up. I mean, it's my favorite game of all time and for a reason. I absolutely love it. My face Tiff. hurts from smiling so hard. Ow. Yeah, wow. 
That's what happens failure. when you, you accomplish and succeed in life, Tiff. When I watch others smiles. fail, really. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, do you want me to talk about it up now? I'll talk about it up. We can stop chastising Matt for a minute. Oh, um, it won't stop. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, one of my ups is Carcassonne. I've been playing a ton of Carcassonne and really enjoying it. Like super, like via app, not actual board game. But I do have... Uh, the travel version of that at work that I sometimes play with the band director I work with when we aren't like furiously doing things throughout our lunch. So I'm thinking about getting that back out because I've been playing a lot of Carcassonne on the app and I really like it again, like into it. I'm like, let's get out all my expansions and and do this. You can play like that thousand tile Carcassonne that Dan and I did at Gen Con one year. That sounds crazy. I might even get out the catapult. Let's just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well. Yeah. You should definitely get out the catapult. <laughs> I just, I, like, this This is one of those just classic games. Like, I can't get enough of it. I'm thinking about buying the Gold Rush version. Isn't yeah. it? Isn't that perfect? It ties into another one of my ups. Oh, no. We'll get there, Tiff. We'll get there. <laughs> Dan, what is one of your ups? One of my ups, and I've, I've kind of talked about this the last few episodes, are the, the Hob of Family games. Hadn't noticed. Like that. So, like, Karuba, Adventureland, and Spookies. These games are amazing. I haven't played... Uh, my spookies yet, but they're they're that, that sounded kind of I haven't hit my spookies so yet. <laughs> Guys, I haven't touched my spookies. I haven't, yeah, I haven't touched my spookies. There you go. I'm gonna put that on a t-shirt. Don't touch my spookies. <laughs> but Adventureland and Karuba are excellent. Like they're they're just one of those casual games. You just sit down, you play, you still like use your brain slightly, but at the same time, like you can teach them in less than like three minutes. Um, bring new people in, like you know they'd played their whole life, kind of thing. It's it's a they're really good games. I'm very impressed with this kind of like next step up that they they've done. So yeah, I think that they they, more. they expanded their market in a really good way. I mean, I think that these are great games, undoubtedly. Tiff, you need to actually play them. I have Karuba. I don't get sweet review copies of these things. So wow. Oh, Dan, how was the uh, the second scenario of Adventureland? Uh, it was good. It was yeah. different. It was a. Uh, it was tight though. I think we finished within like five points of each other. So yeah. similar to our first experience. So I'm looking cool. forward to trying the first and final. If that's yeah. weird. First and the first and final. <laughs> uh, all right. My, one of my ups. It has to do with me trying to play board games and no one being around. Um, I am... Feel ya. Life. Yeah, it's tough. So, you know, Tiff, the reason why I bring this up is because I'd like to know what everyone else's hobbies are in terms of what do you do when you can't play games? Because I found out that solo board gaming for me is not... A, I'm not really good at it. I just can't get the motivation to I've break out a video game. See, I like solo board gaming. The only thing that makes that difficult is a lot of the games that are fun to solo also have a lot of components to unpack so like your eldritch horrors and your defenders of the realm love those games but i'm lazy too so yeah i mean i've got some of the smaller like i've got the oniverse and i got friday and i played them but i found that you know my up my actual up is that i've just been playing more video games Hmm. um and i i love video games i've always been a passion i've played them all my life um but i've been looking for video games that give me a board game kind of feel if that makes sense or or give me like a narrative storytelling kind of feel give me something that i can go on i haven't been reaching for as much like social interaction through video gaming which is what i normally do because i like that in board gaming but i'm trying to find games that kind of emulate 
So games like Armello, which we talked about before, and um, I got a new game that's kind of like oh, what is that uh, Space Alert? It's it's a game where a video game where you actually roll dice and things like that, and you're trying to have your spaceship survive on this journey to Mars. And I just I've also been playing playing Rocket League, which has nothing to do with board gaming, but I've just been finding that in these spaces between like playing Netrunner online and playing board games and reading rule books. I've been supplementing with video games a lot more than I used to, where before I was like, I don't know, trying to trying to go find a game anywhere I could and trying to play solo games. So out on um, the streets. That's on a, <laughs> yeah, out in the streets with a copy of, you know, Abyss, just like <laughs> anybody wanna play with me? Um but I've been it's enjoying pretty, video games. But it's kinda mediocre. <laughs> yeah. Why does Matt sound <laughs> like that? <laughs> Because um, he's sad because no one wants to play a bit oh, with him. Yeah. The sadder he is, the higher pitched his voice gets. Yeah. Don't you guys see these sweet sea monsters? <laughs> I have the cricket. Kel and I, get out of here, guys. <laughs> Kel and I have been playing The Witness, which is an awesome puzzle game together. Oh, um, so that's been supplementing board games, too. So instead of playing two player games, we've been playing this puzzly game together kind of cooperatively. So that's cool. Dude, you want to. So Tiff and I have been playing this game. It's called Our New Year's Resolution, and <laughs> we're both winning. Winning. What? Matt lost. Oh. Matt lost. <laughs> yep. It's gotta be tough. Just failed. Oh my god, how do you sleep at night? Not very well. <laughs> it's amazing how much this is eating me up. You should ask Cal. Ask Cal how I felt when that package came. Yeah. You could have just waited like another month and a half. You could have knocked out your games and you've been all Oh no, these games aren't getting played. <laughs> I mean, like, they're going to get played, but it's going to be a while. That's okay. 37-page Rune Wars rule book. That's okay. Tiff. What? No, wait. No, Tiff, what's one of your ups? Uh, Wild West themes, obviously. Oh, God, we already knew about that. <laughs> I know, but, like, not just Wild West themes in board games, but Wild West themes in everything. Have you been watching Wild Wild West? No. That's a great Will Smith it's song. It's so, so, like, what <laughs> it's is... a movie, Dave. Such a bad movie. I, also wa- I watched song. it with, with my husband's grandma at Thanksgiving or Christmas oh, a year ago, and I was like, wow, how'd this get made? It's so bad. It's so, Solid. so bad. But no, I've been reading uh, Deadwood by Peter, Peter Dexter, I think. So I've been reading Wild West stuff. I've been watching... Hell on Wheels, so that's kind of pioneery Wild West, and yeah, yeah. and yeah, I've been collecting some Wild West themed board games. My Gold West Except came in. Well, Oregon's gonna be here soon. Now I took it into my own hands. I needed it too badly to wait for trade. So yeah. <laughs> All right, Dan, tell us uh, what's up with game designing. Um, it's fun. It's the most frustrating thing ever. But it's been fun. Like I find myself like constantly, just all day, every day, writing down notes of things that pop into my random head. Tiff knows this all too well because a lot of times, not recently, but in the past, I would just send her, "Hey, I just thought of this idea," and she'd be like, "That's cool, Dan. Way to go." But yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I would say. I yeah, I, I'm like anxiously getting ready for unpub because this would be like the first time I like show people outside of the family like my ideas and I know like I know I'm not like a dummy or anything but there's definitely a certain skill set to getting these things prototyped and iterated and it's it's tough too especially because I can understand why people do this with partners and or groups because when I sit down to like play test something by myself at night it's the most boring experience ever I just I can't do it as well as some other people can do it I guess is the thing I'm saying but I'm really having fun like just jotting down and thinking of things in terms of the mechanics with some theme I guess maybe there's theme in the titles but no like it's it's been fun 
So I'm really enjoying it, and I have a ton of ideas. I've I've decided I've I've set myself one goal of finishing one game for Unpub. Not finishing, but getting one game presentable for Unpub, and then I've got like two or three other ones I really wanna I wanna dig into. So, but I'm waiting until after Unpub to get into. It's a very measurable goal. Yeah, because I I've got you know <laughs> the the Space Cantina game. I I really have made some strides on. The thought process there, but I need to prototype it out and see how. Oh, it works. our and, space cantina game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, so everyone. It's, it's pretty complex. So I again, I didn't have enough time to figure it out in the three weeks until Unpub. So yeah, yeah. So everyone, come out to Unpub Six in Baltimore and uh, play Dan's game. Yeah, you guys can come just shit on it. That's cool. Well, I won't be offended. That would ruin the prototype component, so don't do that. It's okay. Anyway, my last up is that I have been playing a bunch of old games, and not like I mean some old classic games, but I've been trying. How old to... are these old games? Like 2005. Yeah, I mean, okay. well, I, the older games. 2005 was 11 years ago. A while ago. Yeah, okay. Tiff just realized how old she is. Oh, I know anyway. how old I am. I've been trying to play games that aren't like brand new off the shelf. You know, I played Puerto Rico for the first time last night, never played that. You know, I got Battle Line, Samurai, looking into some of these like classic abstract games. Um, I've just been trying to play, I mean, not trying to play, I've just been enjoying the the wealth of back catalog games while we're kind of in this in-between stage where Kickstarter's big but no one's delivering and there aren't huge titles coming out because Origins is approaching and Gen Con later. So, there, I mean, there aren't that many AAA, like, big titles that have hit this year so far. So it's a good time to trade. You know, I've been trading for old games. People are getting rid of them um, when these reprints come. So I've just been j- enjoying, like, oh, I've heard of this game. I know this game, but I've never played it. And something like Puerto Rico was not remotely what I was expecting. So that was interesting. Um, so yeah, I've, ju- I've just been enjoying playing older games and kind of seeing where game design has come from. I mean, I'm not thinking that deeply about it, but um, just enjoying kind of checking out the gaming roots. So Tiff, I am so interested in your last up. <laughs> so interesting. So I put RPGs. I'm not actually playing RPGs, but oh, <laughs> I think I'm way closer to actually like trying to dip my toe into this. I This past, oh, I don't know, week or two, I've fallen into a podcast rabbit hole. I discovered a podcaster called Travis McElroy, and him and his brothers do like a whole bunch of podcasts. One of them, the probably the most popular one is My Brother, My Brother and Me, where they give terrible advice to people. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, <laughs> but they have another one where they play Dungeons & Dragons with their dad, called the adventure zone and i started from the beginning of this and they're just like playing fourth edition D for the first time and i'm listening to it and i'm liking everything that i hear and i'm like i think i could do this like for yes. real i could do it like not just i want to be able to do this possibly at some point in the future like i actually might do it so tiff can we play fourth edition you need together like we... via skype yeah is that a th- thing that people do That's a thing. does it get weird do i don't know i would i would try it i would try i want to play an rpg so bad <laughs> so bad and it's making me want to there was a sherlock holmes themed rpg that i saw at origins oh, yeah. that i was super into and i kind of like want to just maybe get that and see if if i can make it happen with my people here so i don't know i've i've just really been inspired by the adventure zone podcast and and now i think i'm ready to at least try something man you are growing up (laughs) come a long way since episode one thanks i would love to watch that 
I, I it's oh, not going to be a comfortable thing, but I think I could try it. All right, Dan, round us out. Give us your last up, your your new favorite designer. My last up is Alexander Fister. What up, Alexander? Are you guys yeah. on a first name basis together? No, we're just BFFs, basically. That's cool. That's cool. Actually, he unfollowed us on Twitter, and I was actually really bummed about that. But I don't know if it was a legit unfollow because Twitter's been weird lately. Like. I, I've just started like unfollowing That's people what that you're I never unfollowed. No, I my account has unfollowed people that I've never unfollowed, which is weird. I don't get it. Twitter's a strange beast, but maybe I, you know, maybe I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, so we're sorry. Um, what yeah, I'm did sorry. You whatever say? I did. I don't know. I don't know what I did, but I love this man's games. He had so many good games last year. He had Oh My Goods. He had Broom Service. He had Mombasa, and he had Isle of Sky, my number two game of the year. Dude's on a tear, and he's maybe coming he's out with a Wild out. West game for Tiff this year about like lassoing cattle or something. I don't know, whatever it is, but it's gonna be amazing regardless. The dude's just yeah. He's I don't know. I don't know if he designed these games all like five years ago and he's just getting them all printed now, or if he's just been on this tear recently. Or I don't. Either way. Love everything I've played of his. Absolutely love it. So yeah. keep up the good Those work. Good games. Yeah, they are awesome. Oh, well. wait, guys. I have to correct what I said. I said fourth edition. I meant fifth edition. Calm down, internet. I don't want your emails. <laughs> that's even better. That's more narrative. That's yeah. less gamey. Yeah, yeah. That's now, what I meant. Now I I'd really want to watch I'm this. so sorry. <laughs> I want to play. Seeing oh, Tiff create narrative. I I am a creative pop. person. Look at I this didn't room. I you not creative. I just want to see it. I Tiff, you open it. the door, and standing before you is a young woman crying. I punch There's her in the face. standing over her. <laughs> what kind of roll yeah. do I have to do? <laughs> yeah, I do. Roll Tiff. 2d10. Pretend you're on a podcast where two of the three hosts have completed their New Year's resolution. I somewhere. Sad oh. face. Oh, okay. That's a lot of dice. I got the dice for it, so I'm all set. We just need people. At... Maybe Tiff will just play by herself. <laughs> Can you solo? <laughs> I don't know. That might be a little no. weird. But All right, so we made it through. That is three up, three down. Thank you all for joining us. That is the end of episode 41, our live show for March. We appreciate you tuning in or listening audio-wise. If you want to chat with us or reach out to us, you can do so on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can choose an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can head on over to the BGG Guild number 2077 or go to guild.nonsensicalgamers.com. Join the conversation. Ask for a tiny... Meeple Shield micro badge. We'd be happy to give you some geek gold to represent that. Find us here on YouTube. Tiff will be posting a new episode uh, of Blender or Blender videos, Board of Education, maybe. Yep. Uh, you can find the live episodes, things like that. Head over to Instagram. Use our hashtag, hashtag NonsenseFulGamers. That's a good one if you want to find pics of board games. Uh, and iTunes reviews and hearts on board game links are also appreciated. We like the feedback on the show. Let us know how we're doing or how we can improve. If you ever want to chat with us personally, Twitter is the best place to do that. Tiff, if people want to mine gold, pan gold, pan for gold <laughs> with you, where do they do that? Um, you can tweet at me, at IneptGamer. Yeah. Dan, if people want to avoid you from stalking their game design, what uh, what handle do they need to look out for? Uh, at League Nonsense, or if you want to talk about my spookies, come on over to Scandalous <laughs> and the Short Ned. <laughs> and if you want to tease me incessantly like Dan and Tiff, or commiserate with me about how I'm a failure as a host and a New Year's resolutionist, you can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. Underscore. Fail. <laughs> Aww. Uh. 
what a great way to uh, end the show. Sad again. Well, as is such here. Thank you all for joining us. Tune in next week. Hashtag better some luck news. next time. And some Kickstarter spotlight. Thank yep. you all for joining us. Say goodbye, everyone. Toodles. Bye. I'm sorry. Bye. Bye.